And you, you start saying, oh, I should have had my babies when I was 21. I'm too old now to have my babies. No, it's not because you're old. It's because there's something that you've been dealing with that you didn't know about. Yeah. So when I realized this thing, I said to myself, I need to put my story out there. Mm. I need to share some of these things that I learned along the way. People need to know. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. And I am your host, Anyo. And I'm here again with my good sister and friend, Kiali Tumban. And she is here to continue the conversation that we had uh, from the previous episode where we were talking about surviving baby loss. Now, if you haven't heard about her story, you better go to that episode, Surviving Baby Loss and listen to it because it's such an empowering story. So I want to welcome you here again, Kiali. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here, Anya. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And I am super excited and ready to be even more empowered by your story because you have such a story worth telling. And that's why, you know, I really applaud you for putting that story into writing in your book, you know, Surviving Baby Loss, Why Battling Infertility. Like I had mentioned, we'd already spoken about the Surviving Baby Loss um, episode, but can you please just give us a brief rundown about that before we go now into the next phase of battling fertility? Sure. Always a pleasure to talk about this story. You know, it's something that I really want to get there to all the young women, you know, and the ladies, men, just anyone that is within the childbearing age. I mm -hmm. think these are important things for them to know. Mm -hmm. So in the previous episode, we talked about me getting pregnant without trying and carrying that pregnancy all the way up until eight and a half months. I was two weeks away from my due date when I had suffered a condition called the placental abruption, where my placenta completely detached from the uterus and I end up suffering a stillbirth. So today we will be continuing conversations around infertility. Yes. Thank you so much for that rundown. And I'm super excited to talk about the next phase in your life, even though it's probably a phase that was filled with so much pain and struggle. But I am very excited nonetheless to share that story with the rest of the world and with our listeners, because there's somebody somewhere who is probably going through the same thing and will need some sort of solace, some sort of comfort for them to know that, you know, other people have been through it and their story has turned out different and just to give them some kind of hope, you know. 
So let's just get straight into it. Can you please tell us about your journey to conceive after you lost your baby? Sure. Very pleased to do that. So after I lost my baby, uh, we were encouraged to give it about 18 months based on the impact that this loss that I had Mm -hmm. had on my womb. Mm -hmm. So we were encouraged to give it about 18 months before we try again. Mm -hmm. So we went a little bit over 18 months just to make sure that I had healed completely Mm -hmm. and properly before we start trying for a baby. But to my greatest dismay, when we were ready to start trying for a baby, for some reason, it started taking too long to conceive. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bit concerned, like I think the third or if not the fourth month into trying, Mm -hmm. because I was just from having a baby without trying. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking that the moment I'm ready to go ahead and have another baby, I would just get pregnant. So when I realized that I wasn't getting pregnant on my own, Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to go talk to the doctors to try to figure out if there is something that was going on Mm -hmm. or maybe something, a side effect from the emergency surgery that I had, the C-section that I had to take out the baby that I had lost. Like I just, I was so confused at that point because coming from being very fertile, the first thing that came to mind was not that I may be dealing with secondary infertility or something. I just wasn't thinking Mm -hmm. it would even be a possibility. So when I went to the doctors, they, I think they advised me to try for at least six months before Mm -hmm. they can do something. So I tried again for a couple of months and after six months, nothing had happened. So at that point, they decided to like run my blood work and, you know, just to see if my numbers were right. Yeah. So They did that and everything looked good on the surface and also on the blood work as well. But I just wasn't conceiving. Mm -hmm. So at one point, they just uh, diagnosed me with, uh, what do you call it? Unexplained infertility. Infertility, yeah. Yeah, because all the numbers look good. The FSH and all of those things look good, but I'm just not getting pregnant. So they had to diagnose me with unexplained infertility. Right. So did they do like, like an HSG? To see if your tubes were blocked. So I'm getting to that point. Okay. Yes. So when they, yeah. So when they, before they diagnosed me with unexplained infertility, there were a couple of tests that they ran. So they did the FSH. I'm not going to go very deep into mm-hmm. these things because I'm not a medical professional yeah. and yeah. I probably don't have the right terminology to use, yeah. but I'm going to be as basic as possible yeah. so that at least someone who's listening can understand. Right. right. And also I just want to put out a disclaimer that this is not medical advice. This is strictly based on Kia's experience. I just want exactly. to put that out there. Well, I'm a medical professional, but I am not an OBGYN. I'm not like a medical doctor, basically, but Ankia isn't as well. So we are just talking strictly about the experience and how that impacted her. And this experience is pertaining to her and her alone. We're not trying to generalize or, you know, put that experience on anybody else or give any kind of advice, medical advice. Thank you. Great. I like that, Anya. Thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. So in my unique experience, as I call it, I had some blood work that was done, as I mentioned before. So I remember I had the FSH, which is the follicle stimulating hormone. Yeah. Yeah. They did the LH as well, the uterinizing hormone, Hormone, the 
yeah, progesterone mm-hmm. to determine what whether I was ovulating properly or normally. Mm-hmm. And they checked my estrogen, the, D, the E1 and the E2. Mm-hmm. They checked my testosterone levels. They checked my thyroid hormones. And uh, they also went as far as doing the IUI, which is the intrauterine insemination. insemination. I that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. Yes. And that's the process where... They take the semen that is washed and mm-hmm. concentrated, and then they place it directly into your uterus, uterus yeah. to make sure that when you release either one or multiple eggs, it's right there to fertilize, fertilize that egg. Yeah. yeah, so they did all of these, right? And still, the numbers, like I said, look good on the surface and also within the blood work. Mm-hmm. So after all of this, they still realized that I wasn't getting pregnant. So they went ahead and said they needed to do the HSG, which mm-hmm. is a hysterosalpingogram. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a yeah. long name. It's such a long name. <laughs> it is name. such a long name. Yeah. It's like 40 words or 50 yeah. letters. But yeah, yeah the hysterosalpingogram is what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So that. And basically, it's a procedure where they run dye through your tubes to see if your tubes, if you've got any blockage in there. So mm-hmm. if it runs through, it means that there's no blockage. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't run through, it means that there is a blockage. And I can tell you that I went into this procedure scared, mainly because I had, like I've told you guys before, and especially in the previous episode, I suffered a placental abruption and ended up having an emergency C-section. And during that emergency section, instead of me having the bikini cut, I had that straight cut because Mm -hmm. at that point they were trying to save my life and not trying to make my stomach look pretty. Mm -hmm. So I was scared that in the process of doing that, some tissue may have sneaked into my tooth somehow and had them blocked. So I was really scared going into this procedure because the whole purpose was to find out whether my tubes were blocked or not. Mm-hmm. But once I did it and the results came back, my tubes weren't blocked. Everything was fine. Mm. So I truly really just had an unexplained infertility situation going on. So those are the procedures that I did before they suggested that I was a great candidate for IVF. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very interesting. And I can imagine how much frustration, you know, you experienced and also how much uncertainty, uncertainty is like the worst thing to me. Uncertainty is the worst thing you can ever, ever put me through. Or at least I just believe uncertainty is like the worst thing any human being can go through because not knowing what to expect or not knowing where life will take you just defeats the whole essence of it. You know, that's just how I believe. And, you know, your story kind of reminds me of my own story, which I mean, everybody should already have listened to that episode by now. When my own HSG that was done actually showed that my tubes were blocked, you know, so I had already booked an appointment with a fertility clinic and everything. And they had planned to do a second HSG and also do well first. No, they didn't want to do it. I don't think they wanted to do a second HSG. They wanted to do like uh, some procedure. Well, they were going to do another HSG actually. And then, sorry, my brain is so (laughs) blurred out, but yeah, they were going to have an HSG, and then they were going to have some kind of procedure where they went in and tried to flush out, or they were just trying to take out anything that was blocking my tubes, you know. And also on that same day, they were going to have to start the IVF because I was just like, you know what, let's just do the IVF. Like, I I don't even have time for this, like, for, you know, to wait around and try to figure things out. So on the day when they actually 
officially had to start the IVF, you know, because of course with IVF, you have to take hormones, sorry, uh, birth control pills and stuff like that, which I believe you're going to talk about that later. Oh, but yes. yes. And it had to be, they said it had to be the first day of my next period. But fortunately for me, you know, my period never came. <laughs> And then I took a pregnancy test and I discovered that I was pregnant, you know. So, wow. yeah, it's nothing short of a miracle, honestly. That's just how I look at it. Right. And I also read there's this studies because I was really trying to I did a lot of research on HSGs and stuff like that. And I came across a couple of studies that had mentioned that there was a I mean, the studies were not like very strong studies per se, but they had mentioned that maybe about 13% of women or so who had HSG procedures actually ended up being pregnant. And it was just trying to figure out, but what they could tell, like the best verdict that they could come up with was that this women, like when they sent the dye through the tubes, the dye actually flushes whatever is blocking Cause you know, you're it trying does. to, yes, you're trying to put in the dye to see if there's any blockage. And when the dye shows the right. blockage, when it comes back out, there's like a reverse in like the pressure, which flushes everything out. That was the same thing I was told when oh, mine was being done. That nice. was the same thing. Yes. Nice. I remember the doctor telling me there's two sides to these procedures, right? One mm-hmm. of it is like an experiment where not really an experiment. It's a procedure basically mm-hmm. where we're trying to do a test to see if your tubes are blocked or not. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, he said, when they run that dye through your tubes, mm-hmm. if there is a blockage, in some cases, it flushes it out. Mm-hmm. So as the dye is running through your tubes, right, whatever obstruction is there, mm-hmm. there is a tendency that it can push it out. It can yeah. flush it out for you. Yeah. But again, this doesn't happen to everyone. Some people do it. There is a blockage and it doesn't unblock it. It doesn't flush it out. Mm-hmm. So to your point, though, my doctor told me the same thing as well. Yes. So I'm also thinking that that's what may have happened in my own case, you know, and yeah. And I'm just grateful for everything because, you know, I, I had such a very, I didn't have any complications during my pregnancy, even though they considered it a high Good risk just because I had like a little bit of fibroids, but they were being very cautious. And I was, I was like a ball of anxiety though. Like I was always anxious and very, Can you know, imagine. yeah, until yeah. the end. And I even had like the smoothest and the most, like the shortest labor and delivery ever you know within like less than three yeah within less than three hours from the start of my labor I had the baby and I had her naturally and everything no emergencies no complications or anything you know but just that fear yeah just that fear and everything you know it just freaked me out the whole experience that I I couldn't you know really appreciate it like the experience all through because I was just so filled with fear of the unknown, you know, like what if something happens, you know? So now, yeah, enough about me. I was just trying to relate to your own story, but you know, I really want to know more about that, you know, trial to conceive, right? So when you were diagnosed with um, idiopathic infertility, I believe, yeah, what next did you decide? Like, how did that impact you? First of all, I really want to also relate to your, your personal story. Not only what the doctor told you, like, how did that impact you? How did that impact your husband? Like, what did you both do to, you know, just go through that process and what was the next step? Okay. 
So these are things that are so hard to process. You know, I remember when we were diagnosed, when we were told that this is a situation that my body is facing right now. I am unable to get pregnant and they can't tell me why because everything looks good. Mm -hmm. But somehow the pregnancy is not happening. So I was battling in my head like, no, there has to be something wrong. You guys need to look deeper. There has to be something that you can find and say, this is the problem and this is how we're going to fix it. Or to say, this is the problem and there's no solution to it. Like I was dying to hear that as opposed to just being told that we don't know, yeah. you know, like I just left from losing a baby where I was told that we don't know what happened. So my own things are always, we don't know, mm-hmm. you know, you had a perfect pregnancy. Everything was going well. You fall into that 1% of people that somehow just end up in the last minute having this crazy thing called a placental abruption. And then they lose their babies to stillbirth. And then here I am again, dealing with infertility and then being told that it's unexplained. So everything to me was kind of blurry. Like, why is it that all my things are unexplained? Tell me what the problem is and how you can fix it. Or like I said, just tell me you cannot fix it. So I was battling with that, trying to figure out what could be this thing. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going a lot to the internet, which by the way, I figured out it's not a very good thing. You get all of these conflicting information, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're trying to find out things from people that have maybe, I would say, not qualified to give you that kind of information. Mm -hmm. And they're probably just talking from their own experience with really no medical uh, things to back it up. So I ended up at the internet doing a whole bunch of research and really not finding anything. So it was so hard for me to Mm -hmm. process, but, and this is one of the reasons why I really decided that my story was going to be out there and that I was going to really just be vulnerable and share with people regardless, Mm -hmm. because if I had some pre-information before getting into this, if I knew people that had struggled with the same things, of course, I knew people who struggled with the same things, but they just never really opened up to opened me up, to tell yeah. me that these are the things that they went through. These are the kind of struggles that they faced. Mm-hmm. So if I had that information prior to getting into this, it would have been a lot easy for me. It would have been mm-hmm. a lot easy for my husband as well. But we had no information. We just knew that people got pregnant and had their babies whenever they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So that in and of itself was uh, one of the things that really affected me the most because I had nothing. I had no blueprint to follow. Like I had nothing. So, yeah. it, was so it was just so difficult for me. Right. I was learning as I go in a very delicate situation yeah. and sometimes maybe even making decisions that if I look back on now, I probably wouldn't have made them, mm-hmm. you know, and then also stressing out myself a lot in yeah. the process, trying to figure out, is it something that is wrong with, mm-hmm. you know, failing to understand that it's happening to me. It's mm-hmm. not happening because of me. There's a yes. big difference right yes. there. That's you true. know, you don't choose these things mm-hmm. to happen to you. Mm-hmm. They're happening to you, not because of anything that you've done or because of anything that you failed to do. Right. You know, because I'm taking my vitamins, I'm eating well, I'm exercising. I'm, you know, I, I, I feel great about myself. I'm not, you know, but 
why is it that this particular thing is not happening? Is it because I have done something? Is it because I have failed to do something? You know, you're searching internally, you're searching externally, and you're not able to find anything. So it was very hard to process. Yeah. But I got to the point where I told myself, if IVF is the way, then that's the way to go. That's right. what I'm going to do. Right. You know? So. Wow. Uh, that's, um, that's, 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 that's really a great way that you put it. Now, did you talk about this with like anyone, you know? No, no, I did not. Because first of all, there's that shame, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. again, one of the reasons I want to share this story, because you're ashamed, you're afraid, you don't know how people are going to take it. You've been in situations where People have called you to talk about other people's situations. So now you're like, okay, people are going to start talking about me, you know, and then people are calling you and talking to you and like, oh, you need to start having babies. You know, like you can't be looking good all the time. Somehow you're going to have to gain some weight. You need like all of those things are playing in your head. And I'm like, you know what? No, nobody's going to know about this. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody about my problems. No one's going to know what I'm going through. Yeah. Because I don't know how people would receive it. I don't know if they're going to judge me. I don't want anybody to judge me. So yeah. when people ask me about babies, I just tell them I'm not ready. Yeah. But I was ready at one point. I was yeah. trying at one and it wasn't happening. But yeah. I didn't know how people would receive it. So I just decided to not tell anybody. So no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand. And that goes to just, you know, show that if we were more accepting in our community, if we were more sensitive yes. to people's situations in our community, um, it would have made a big difference. And I feel like that yes. also solidifies or rather justifies why this platform is very important. I think at least it's important so that we can break down that barrier, break down those walls and have open conversations with one another. Exactly. And those who yes. are listening will have a different perspective and gain that kind of insight or even discernment to know when is the right time to talk to someone or to realize or identify when someone is not being sensitive to their situation and know how to go about it. You know, so I mean, when I went through my own thing, I'm really grateful for my family. My family was my strong support. I told my family and they all came to, I mean, when my parents, you know, heard about, you know, oh, we wanted to do IVF. The first thing is like, they literally wanted to sponsor it. They were like, what can we do? You know, I mean, and, yeah. and typically yeah. that has always been my parents. Like even when I'm working and I'm not financially down, they're always willing to just like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, do you want us to send you, going to support you? We're going to, you know, so that has always been them, you know, and I am super blessed and grateful for that, even with my siblings, because it's, it's, it's not something common. Of course, you know, typically, typically parents yeah. are instead like putting pressure, like, oh, you need to have kids. You need to, I need to see my grandkids, you know, things like that. So yeah. it just goes again to say that we need to show more empathy to one another. We need to show yes, more support. I really to. feel like if yeah. we supported one another, we would do way more than we think we can do, you know, because there are a lot of things of that we keep to ourselves. There are a lot of things that we don't want to share just because we're afraid. You know, we're afraid There's of what people power think. power in being vulnerable. Yes. Trust me. Yes. There's power in being vulnerable. I don't mean to cut you short. Yes. Oh, no, that's fine. Ever since this book, I always have it close to me. Mm -hmm. Ever since this 
book got released, mm-hmm. I have had even more healing. Before I got to the point where the book was released, I had a lot of healing, right? Because I started talking to people about my situation. Like I yeah. was so open about it. Yeah. I wasn't keeping anything on the wraps anymore. I wasn't going to be keeping a safe upper lip anymore. I was like, you know what? I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to talk to people about my situation. Mm-hmm. Not because I really want them to know what's going on with me, but because I want to help the next person. Yeah. I don't want anybody to have your feelings bottled up and, you know, be struggling and really wanting to say things, but not being able to say them because they're afraid of how they're going to be viewed by other people mm-hmm. or they're afraid of what people will say about them. Yeah. No, if you share your story, if you're vulnerable about a difficult situation such, such as this one, you're not only helping other people, you're yeah. also helping yourself. Yes. You heal yes. a lot more. Yeah, and other people can also see themselves in you. You know, sometimes they say misery loves company, but in this case, it's not even misery loving company. It's more exactly. about having that consolation that, you know, I am not weird. I'm not different. It doesn't happen only to me because I've right. done something, you know. Yes, I'm sorry it happens to another person, but that gives me consolation that it's just not me in terms of like, it's not something with me or something I've done. It happens to anybody, you know. Right. And because right. I feel like a majority of what we go through in situations is what goes on in our heads and what the voice that we listen to in our heads, you know. I mean, if we just took that voice out, we will handle situations way better than, you know, we probably are doing, you know, but it takes a lot to not listen to that voice. And just knowing that, you have to be in the right mindset. Yes. And it's not always easy. Yes. And just knowing that other people are also going through what you're going through, you know, and you can connect with those people and even find solace in one another just through what you guys are going through together. That's how you have the groups, you know, and so things like that are very important to know. So I hope that as we share this story, it also someone can identify themselves or their story in this and also find that solace, you know, that, hey, this is not only happening to me and if it happened to her and she's here to tell her story and she made all the strides, then I can do that too, you know. So um, let's let's go to the next um, part of the story. So when you guys decided to do the IVF, uh, can you uh, walk us through, you know, the process and just basically from when you made that decision and how it all went through? Great, great. I like talking about this part. So when we made that decision, to go to the IVF, Mm -hmm. I was actually excited. I was super excited, you know, because to me, really not knowing much about uh, any kind of assisted reproductive technologies Mm -hmm. up until that point, I had this notion that IVF was like that magic solution, right? Right. Where you go, you get it done, you get pregnant, and you have your babies. That's what I thought. So mm-hmm. I was so excited about this. I did my research and uh, we decided on the facility that we were going to use, the doctors, like 
everything. So we went, we had interviews because uh, it's a whole process. You know, you it go, is. you get interviews and everything because the fact that you've chosen them doesn't mean that they're going to choose you as a candidate. Mm-hmm. It depends on your numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Because they want to be successful and they're, uh, there's a set, certain criteria that you need to fit in order for you to be accepted as a candidate. Mm-hmm. That too, I did not know. I just thought I was just going to call up somebody and say, hey, I'm ready. I want to come to an IBM. And then they're going to say, come do it. So when we started calling around, the number one thing was, oh, we're going to have to see your medical records. Uh, you're going to have to come in after that. Then you're going to have to come in for an interview and all of those things. So and then while they, you go in for the interview, they have to do all of these blood work as well before they determine whether you're actually a great candidate for them mm-hmm. or not. So all of those things, I keep saying this and I cannot emphasize it enough. They were all brand new to us. Mm-hmm. And the main reason they were brand new to us is because these are things that people do not talk about. Yeah. So I'm excited about the procedure and all I want to do is just give me a date. Like, let me know when is this thing going to be done? So anyway, we go through the interview phase, we go through the blood work and everything is fine, both on my side and also on my husband's side. And then we go now to the point of doing the actual IVF. And that one, again, to me, becomes a whole new journey Mm -hmm. because the amount of medications that you take, the amount of injections that go into your body, I almost give up it's just it's it was too much yeah it was just way too much for me that's all I'm gonna say I'm not going into like deep deep details all of those are detailed in the book yeah and uh, you can read it soak yourself in everything that is in there yeah but I can't go into the details here because it's just too long yeah but my gosh lots of medications lots of injections you know and you can't be going to the clinic every day to get injected so you're gonna have to learn how to do it or your husband's gonna learn how to do it so it was mm-hmm. it was really difficult it yeah. was so difficult that's crazy it was so yeah. um you took the injections and then like how was the after taking the injections basically what, what were the next steps so it didn't start with the injections. Let me not miss the steps. I know I said I'm not going to go into details, but let me not miss the steps. So it doesn't start with the injections. When you, when I went, let me speak for myself. When I went, the first thing again, they still have to do the blood work before they yeah. start. They have to put me, they put me on birth control, birth control. pills to yeah. control my period because mm-hmm. they do things on certain days of your period, right? Of your cycle, basically. Mm-hmm. So they have to control it to make sure that you get to XYZ day before they can start. So there's first of all that medicated cycle mm-hmm. where you're taking all of those birth controls and all the medications that they're giving you to up your levels or to do whatever it is that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Basically trying to prep your body. So there's this pre-work that they do. So they did the pre-work, prep my body, when I was ready, they started the injections and everything. And the injections are basically to make sure that you get to that point where you have a lot of eggs that they can harvest mm-hmm. and then use those eggs with your partner's semen, fertilize yeah. them outside, and then come back now and inject, inject them. Inject it. In- Right. And when they do that, they look for like the healthiest ones. They look for like mm-hmm. the best quality eggs that you have mm-hmm. to fertilize them outside in like a petri dish, whatever they call that thing. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm not a medical doctor. So I'm really just trying here mm-hmm. in basic terms to explain the mm-hmm. procedure that my husband and I went through. 
So yeah, they take that, they fertilize everything outside, and then they come in, they do the embryo transfer because now it becomes an embryo outside, right? And then they yes. take it, they transfer it into you. And then after that, they give it a certain amount of days and then they do the test to see whether you're pregnant or not. So right. that period of me getting those injections up until the point where my eggs are ready for them to harvest and the period from that harvesting to when they have to do the embryo transfer to put it back into me. I am a nervous wreck, you know, like with all of those injections. Yes. And the hormones and everything and the hormones, you know, you're all over the place. You know, you're constantly bloated. I'm a small friend person. I'm not a big person. I'm a small person, but my tummy started kind of growing. Huh? bigger for some reason you know because of everything that they're loading you with yeah so if i felt sick i don't know about other people but yeah. i kind of i kind of felt sick you mm-hmm. know the whole period was it was exciting but at the same point also training. at the same time it's training and yeah. miserable and you just cannot wait for it to be over mm. and once everything is done and the doctor has told you okay now you have to wait for i think it's 10 days if i remember correctly mm-hmm. before they can do the test to see whether you're pregnant or not that period to me was the hardest mm. a day was like 10 days because yeah i just anticipation I wait Yes, yes, the anticipation was growing daily. I just couldn't wait. And I was like, oh my gosh, finally, finally, like this is going to be happening. I'm going to be pregnant again. We're going to have a baby. You know, I was so excited. And then after day 10, took the test, it was negative. Oh a my big, gosh. But negative. Wow. I think I lost a lot of senses when I found out that I wasn't pregnant. I couldn't feel, I couldn't taste. I just, I, I wasn't myself. I was shocked. Wow. I was shocked. And the number one reason why I was shocked was because at that fertility clinic where I did my IVF, I was told that my numbers were the best among the other people that were trying to get, were trying to go through the same procedure that I, yeah. that I was doing. So the doctors knew that if anybody was going to get pregnant, I was the one that was going to get pregnant. You know, they were so positive. They worked so hard. They were checking on me all the time. Like I was the person that was going to add to the statistics, statistics of we did maybe 10 ideas this week. Yes, I was going to be one of their success stories. So they were so disappointed when they found out that, my work. Wow. Yeah. So how early after an unsuccessful implantation per se, can you do it again? Since your body was still full of hormones, did you just decide to consider, sorry, to continue um, or rather consider another cycle, like another cycle of the IVF or they tell you to wait? So once that happens, right, your body is considered to be very fertile. Let me just put it that way, because you've been pumped with all of these hormones. Yes, you've been pumped with all of these things. So even your cervical mucus is very uh, friendly. Yeah. I'll put it that way. It's not hostile. It's yeah. It's very friendly to receive the semen and be able to fertilize any egg that you release. And don't forget to understand that at that point, your eggs are just multiplying. You have so many eggs in yeah. you. 
you know, you don't have one, you don't have two, you have like 16. Some yeah. people are having like 32. There are a lot of eggs. So it's just easy for these eggs to form. But the question now becomes, are those eggs healthy? Healthy. Yes. Yes. Are they truly healthy? And to answer your question, you sh- I was advised not to be in a rush to try to even have unprotected intercourse because you could have if you get pregnant, you probably could have so many babies yeah. because there are all these eggs in you. There's yeah. just so many. Yeah. Yeah, so you're actually advised to not have unprotected intercourse because you never know what can happen. So what they advised me to do was if you want to consider doing this again, give it maybe another month or two before you try to do it again. Mm-hmm. But when you give it that month or two again and come back to do the IVF, you're still going to have to go through the medicated and the injection cycle Mm. because they need to prep your body. It's calculated. Mm -hmm. They just cannot do that embryo transfer on any kind of day. Everything is timed. Everything is clearly timed before they can do it. So it took me a while before I decided to go for round two. Long and short, round two for me still did not work. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. <laughs> so um, where yes. w- did you have the procedure here in America or where, w- where was that? No, I didn't have it here in America. I had it abroad and uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose where oh, yeah. I had it, That's but fine. I, I, I had it abroad. Let's just put it that way. Okay. No, I, I yeah. asked that just because I imagine how much you probably should have spent because an IVF in America oh, yes. is an average, I think should be between 15K and 20K just for oh. everything minus the medications, you know, like, so, I mean, no, no, no. For the medications and everything minus something. I don't know. I forgot. I spoke with it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So that's why I asked money. because I'm like, wait yes. a minute, I'll you're doing you. you're doing all of this in America. Yes. Like, oh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but the cost is not doing it abroad and doing it underground. The cost still ends up being the same, if not a little bit more. Because remember, you have to be in this country for a very long period of time. Yeah. The whole you have to be there for at least three weeks to a month. Yeah. You have to feed yourself. You have to provide for your lodging. You know, you have, and when you're doing something like that, you don't, you want to be in a really comfortable hotel, you know, even Mm -hmm. if it costs you like $400 a night, you want to be comfortable. You want to cry on a comfortable bed, you know? Yeah. So all of those things, they add up. So the cost, I wasn't even looking at the cost at that point because after trying for so long to have a baby and losing one, you know, after standing at a grave, you you're not looking at money. You're just looking at having this baby. And that's why I was so heartbroken when it didn't happen. But when the first one didn't happen, I still didn't think about the cost. You know, Mm -hmm. I was just, the cost didn't really, like it's money spent already, right? And it's something that you plan to spend. But I was just like, wow, am I really cut out to have a baby? Maybe I'm not even cut out to have a baby. Why is this happening to me? two Mm. IVFs yeah and like you rightly said with all of this money down the drain and it's not something that you can get a refund for like once it's spent it's spent like yeah and you're paying for it out of pocket you know I know I know. (laughs) know it was so that was very heavy that's a very heavy cost but I didn't look at that a lot because I was ready to spend it because I knew that I was gonna have a baby so we Mm. didn't complain much about it but it didn't happen but what I learned 
from that situation. Because like I said, the whole purpose of me sharing my story Mm -hmm. is for someone to learn and for people who are going through similar struggles to see themselves in me and to know that they're not alone. You know, they're not the only persons going through these things, Yeah, you know, and I'll tell you one thing that stood out to me during this whole journey at the hotel where I was, there were about six, if not more of us that were in the country for the same reason. Wow. We're all there to do an IVF. Wow. So would go down during breakfast, would meet these ladies, these men, and would have a chat. And everyone was just plain lying. I don't know how to say it without using that word. Mm-hmm. Like I would ask somebody, so what brings you here? Just like you would when you're out, you know, when you meet somebody in a different country, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, what brings you here? That's the first question. Surprisingly for me, the answer was, oh, tourism. You know, we're just here. We haven't been here. There's a lot of things to see in this beautiful country yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So that's that was everyone's story. And that was my story, too. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. That was my story, too. Yeah. And everyone asked me, so what brings you here, too? And I'm like, oh, I haven't been to this country. It's so beautiful. I've had so many beautiful things about it. So I came to see it. Mm-hmm. So we were all lying to each other. But again, it didn't take too long for that lie to catch up with us because we just met, met ourselves at the clinic where. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We, yes. And we're looking at each other like, wow, what are you doing here? You know? Yeah. So that again, sounds like a movie. We don't talk about <laughs> yes, Again, we don't talk about these things. So we're sitting there. We're going through the same thing, mm-hmm. but we're not sharing it with each other. Yeah. But the moment we found out that we were all there for the same purpose. Yeah. We had similar struggles to share. Yeah. You we guys bonded tell, on a different level. We bonded. Yes. We bonded on a different level because I hadn't told the story to my friends. A few family members knew about it, but not everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, similar struggles with them. They hadn't told it to their friends and some of them hadn't even told it to their families. Like their families didn't even know mm-hmm. that they flew to that country to do an IVF. Mm-hmm. No one even knew that they were struggling to have babies. They've just been telling their friends and families that, oh no, we, we don't want to have babies right now. You know, we're postponing it. Uh, maybe we just want to enjoy our lives. We don't, have to, we don't want to have babies right now. Like that's the story they were telling. Yeah. And uh, I felt miserable after realizing that, like, we shouldn't be lying, you know, we should be able to just open up about these things and say, you know what, it's not happening for me yet. I'm trying, but hopefully someday it will. You don't have to go into the details, but Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid. It's not a punishment to not be able to conceive. It is not a punishment. And you cannot control what your body has decided to do. You have no control over that. Yeah. You know, some people go for like five or six months without a period and they're not pregnant. That's just what their body has decided to do. Yeah. I have my periods every month, but I'm not getting pregnant. It's just what my body has decided to do. Yeah. We have no control over that. We should not be ashamed about it. If the situation calls for us to have a conversation about it. Hey, be honest. Have a conversation about it. You know, be a big girl. Put your big girl pants on and have a conversation about it. Yeah. And uh, another thing, too, that I want to I want to share that I learned during this journey is that infertility doesn't discriminate. That's true. It has nothing to do with how old you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so young when this thing hit me. I was like 30, 31 when this thing hit me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't 40. I wasn't 50. Yeah. But when I was going through this journey, I saw a 21 year old girl 
who's been married since 19. She's from a culture where they get married really early mm-hmm. and they have kids really early. So for her to get married at 19 and not have a baby was a taboo. She was at a point where her husband was almost throwing her out because both her, the husband and the family were after this girl for not getting pregnant. She's no good because she's not getting pregnant. She can't have a baby. But no one was sitting down with her to try to figure out, take her to the doctor to try to figure out what is it that is going on with her. But she's only 19 years old and she's already dealing with infertility. She's 19. And at 21, she's trying to do an IVF. I got to the point where I produced eggs. The eggs were harvested from me and the embryo transfer was done, but I couldn't get pregnant after that. This young girl, this 21-year-old that I'm talking about, she couldn't even get to the point where she would produce those eggs for them to be harvested. So Mm. she was never even going to have an IVF done because how is she going to do it? Her next choice was to do it with donated eggs. Mm -hmm. Whether that was something that she's comfortable with or not, that was the next choice that she was being presented with. And she's only 21 years old, 21 years old. And that's why I really want to talk about this. I want everybody to know that Yes, you can have so many babies when you're young, but there's also a possibility that you're sitting there and you're young and you're saying, okay, maybe I'm just going to wait and have babies when I'm 25. Maybe I'm just going to wait and have babies when I'm 30. Maybe if you try when you're 21, you may not even have that baby because there's already something going on with you, but you don't know. Yeah. So when you get to 30 and you, you start saying, oh, I should have had my babies when I was 21. I'm too old now to have my babies. No, it's not because you're old. It's because there's something that you've been dealing with that you didn't know about. Yeah. So when I realized this thing, I said to myself, I need to put my story out there. Mm. I need to share some of these things that I learned along the way. People need to know that if you fall within that childbearing age, there is the possibility that you may be dealing with something. Yeah. So do your checks, you know, do your checks. Like we had a conversation in the other uh, episode, freeze your eggs if you need to do whatever you need to do to guarantee the fact that when you want to have a baby, you will. Yeah. I don't know if you can really guarantee yeah. it, but do everything. Everything, at least power. on your part. Yeah. Yes. On your part. Don't mm-hmm. sit there and say, oh, I'm only 21. Oh, I'm only 22. Oh, I'm only 25. You have no idea what you're dealing with. So this 21-year-old, she was there doing IVF. I was 30, 31 doing IVF. And there is this lady, you're going to love this one. There is this lady, she was 49 years old. Oh, wow. She was going to be she was going to be 50 in two months at, from that point on when we were doing the IVF. Guess what? She got pregnant. <laughs> she did. That is she awesome. Got pregnant. I didn't get pregnant. The one that was 21 years old didn't get to the point where she could even go through with the IVF. The other people got pregnant, lost the babies along the way. A 53-year-old who was there to do an embryo transfer because she was like, I don't have any eggs. So I'm here to just borrow and use. Those were her words. She was like, I'm just going to borrow and use. She was very open about it. She did uh, the egg donor. She got her eggs. She, uh, she, no, she got an embryo which was already fertilized and donated by mm-hmm. another couple. Mm-hmm. She used that. She got pregnant. But unfortunately, five months down the road, she lost the baby. Oh. But the 49-year-old, she got pregnant. 
she had her baby boy and that baby boy, I think is how many years old today? I don't remember, but the baby boy is there. Yeah. So she had that baby at 50. I saw wow. her go through it. Yes. Wow. That's really yes. amazing. That it's really yes. amazing. And thank you for sharing all of yes. this different stories just to give other people perspective to know yes. that different people go through this. It's not only you. It's not because of you. It's not because of it's not, I mean, certain factors could play into fertility, infertility, sorry, of course, you know, and, but sometimes it could still be no factor. People just don't know why that happens. And that's basically what happened in your case. Now, after the second unsuccessful IVF, did you consider IVF again? No, after the second unsuccessful one, I think my husband and I got to the point where we were very accepting of the fact that we weren't getting pregnant. So we said to ourselves, hey, what do we do from here? You know, and unanimously, we said, no more trying. We're just going to leave our lives. We're going to travel the world. We're going to do the things that we love doing. Mm -hmm. If we have to adopt, we'll get to that point. And it's something that I'm still considering today. We'll get to that point. Babies are babies. We just need some little ones to love. And uh, yeah, so we agreed. We're very, very happy with our decision. Mm -hmm. And we just, we just kept living life. Like I was so happy to be off those freaking medications. Like I was just so, I was so happy. Like in such a long time, I felt like I was free, you know, because I was constantly on the internet looking for um, what can I do? What medication can I take? You know, oh, what fertility doctor can I visit? Who can I talk to? Like, I was so into that thing. It took incredibly, like, I, I cannot tell you how much you drew from me. Yes. I was lost. In, like, I was yes. so into it. Like, but when we got to that point and made that decision, I felt like a huge load had been lifted off my shoulders. I could just live life, I know, without worrying about, oh, am I pregnant? Like, I I didn't care whether my period came or whether my period didn't come. Like, I just did not care. I was free because for the longest, I was always stressed out. Oh my gosh, my period has come again. Sometimes I would sit in the bathroom and not want to come out because I went in just to take a wee-wee and then now I'm seeing red. Mm-hmm. I didn't go in to see red. I just went in to take a wee wee. And yeah. I would sit there for like, God knows, sometimes half an hour, just bawling my eyes out. Like, why are you here? I don't want to see this thinking thing. Why are yeah. you here? You yeah. Know? So it was just liberating for me to not have to worry about those things anymore. Yeah, I I can imagine. And I share the same similar experience with you. Like when my tubes were blocked, I was just consumed by everything on online, basically on the Internet, you know, trying to look for solutions. And I'm the kind of person that I am a little bit of a type A or maybe not a little bit or maybe a lot type A. (laughs) I like having things under control. Like I'm very, you know, okay, at this time, this is what's supposed to happen. This like, that's the kind of person I am. So it's like, that was a situation where I had no control over and I, it was driving me crazy. I was trying everything possible to find a solution, you know, but it was just when I was just like, you know what, 
I'm not going to let this get in the way of me living my life as well. I mean, while, of course, I was waiting for my period, I was like, I'm not going to let this bring me down. And I was like, life continues. I'm going to do exactly the same things I would have done if I didn't get this news and everything, you know. And then that's when I actually got pregnant, you know. And I know that, you know, you had shared with me that you have a, a very cute little one you know and so how I mean congratulations on that even though it's like what two plus years ago but how how long did you guys just let go of the idea of you know even trying to conceive again before you realized that you were pregnant and then you know what was that success story looking like Oh my gosh, I am beaming with joy. What no. like I'm just beaming with joy. I don't even have the words. Like, yeah. I'm beaming with joy. I want to cry. Like I don't know. It's just I don't even know what to say. Oh man. You know, prior to that, so we were on vacation and uh it was I think two years after mm-hmm. the whole IVF thing happened mm-hmm. and after we just decided, you know what, we're probably not cut out to be parents. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and if we're cut out to be parents, we're probably not cut out to be parents to children that we birth, to our biological children. Right. And we love babies. My husband and I, we we love kids. Kids warm up to us mm-hmm. a lot. So we were like, you know what, one day we're gonna make we're gonna make great parents to a little boy or a little girl, but maybe we're not gonna be the ones to give birth to that baby. Mm-hmm. So we were on vacation, like I said, two years after that whole IVF story had ended. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was pregnant. I found that I was pregnant. Aww. Right. Yeah, I, I found that I was pregnant. And uh, by the time I found out, I think I was maybe like two months pregnant or so. I And I didn't know because I was wow. just living my life, right? Yeah. Thinking about babies. Right. But when we got back from vacation, I think when we landed at the airport, got back, I started having a miscarriage. Oh. And I was like, huh. You're really not supposed to have babies, aren't you? I wasn't sad. So you had a miscarriage I, even after that? Yes. Oh my gosh. I had one. And I wasn't sad when that happened. You know, I was just like, oh, to me, it was like a reminder that maybe I'm not supposed to have a baby. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Like, I don't think I had it in me to cry anymore. Yeah. At yeah. That point. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in, I'm trying to remember what month, in April. That was in April of that year. Mm-hmm. I just brushed it off. My husband is very supportive. He was like, you know what? Don't worry. You know, I think we're going to have babies. He's a very positive person. He was like, you know what? I think the fact that you got pregnant after all of those things without yeah. us trying and doing yeah. anything, I think we're going to have babies. So he was so positive. But to me, I was like, ah, been there, done that. Like, nope, don't say that. Not today. Like, don't take me back there. I don't mm-hmm. want to be thinking about having babies. I'm, I'm not going to have babies. Like I, I was being negative while mm-hmm. he was being very positive. But again, I turned around, I became very positive and all of that. And a couple of months after that, I was pregnant again. Mm. And, and just like around, that with nothing, like you, you just happened. Nothing. Yes. Yes. So this happened in this miscarriage was in April, right? In April of that year. Mm-hmm. And then in July of that same year, I found out that I was pregnant mm-hmm. again. And wow. this time around, you know, two 
years plus later, I'm here smiling and I'm a mom to that baby. I know. And ooh, that just showed me the power of God. Excuse yes. me to, yes. you know, stick in my Christianity. Oh, no, no, no. You don't even excuse here. yourself. Yeah. That's a fact. I know. That humbled me. Yeah. I remember I cried. I told God I was so sorry for all those years that I was flying from one plane to the other, trying to have a baby when maybe he just, he just wasn't ready to give me one, you know, he gave me one when he thought that it was the time for him to give me one. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful for my little Gendy. I'm so, I, I, I don't even know how to say it. I don't think it had to take me going through all these struggles to appreciate this little boy. Yeah. But when I tell you that I appreciate being his mom, I appreciate just being a mother to that little boy. Yeah. I don't know what words to use, but I am so grateful. I feel like the luckiest and the most blessed person on planet Earth right now. Yes. So, have successfully carried a pregnancy. I know. I was just going to ask, like, were there any complications? How was your labor and delivery? Oh, my gosh. Labor and delivery. I could not get to that point. Remember, I was pregnant for eight and a half months and lost that baby. There was no way I was going to sit around and wait to get into labor and delivery. No. Yeah. So you just had, you scheduled a C-section. I scheduled. I scheduled. I had my little boy taken out three weeks in advance because mm-hmm. what you didn't want to, to wait two weeks. No, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need this one out. Like I need you to take him out. Mm-hmm. Like it was done. Yes. Three weeks in advance. He's here. Very happy. Like we're good. I oh. had no complications at all during the pregnancy, but because I had suffered a placental abruption, my pregnancy was considered high a high risk. risk. Of course you would know that mm-hmm. you're a health professional you would know that. So yeah, yeah, it was high risk. So I had more scans than other people would, um, regular visits. Like I literally lived at my OBGYN's office during a period. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was so happy to it. So I would have gone there every day if I had to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I took, uh, what's that thing? A spring happily every single day of that pregnancy. Right. And, uh, yes, Yes, wow. So. Congratulations again. Um, Thank I'm you. super happy for you considering everything. I'm super happy for you considering everything that you went through. Honestly, it's not the easiest experience, you know, and I can only imagine, you know, you know, I, I was just telling my husband the other day, I was like, you know, just even being a mother is the most, it has given me so much humility is the most humbling experience ever you know yes. remember i said i'm a type a i like the things to go this boom 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 like yes. being a mother i feel like what has been my greatest frustration which i am you know learning how to surrender surrender is surrendering is you know very 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 essential to being a successful parent or just to even feeling i, I don't really i mean being a successful parent is very subjective. I would not even use that term. I would be more like surrendering to circumstances is very essential to keep your sanity as a parent, yeah. right? And that's something I, I came to learn and I'm still learning because yeah. your child would do the exact opposite of what you expect. 
And then it's like, you're like, oh my God, we're back to square one. Like what, yes. like why, why is this happening? Or this, you know, like I, <laughs> yes. I, I, I used to drive myself crazy, you know, just trying to get things to go in order, get things to go as planned, but it just never seems to happen. And that even got to the point of affecting me mentally because I was just like, why can I not? I felt like I wasn't getting a grip of things, you know, like life was just happening. I was literally going through the motions because I couldn't get a grip of hey, things. Guess what? You know, you don't have to. Right. Right. You don't have to. It is okay for you to not have a grip of everything. You have to understand that. And yes. Remind yourself every day that it is okay. Yes, yes. I don't have a grip of everything, but I do not have to. Yes. I know it's easier said than done, but the fact that I'm saying it doesn't mean that I'm practicing it because I struggle with yeah, it. Yeah, we all do struggle. I keep reminding yeah. myself. Yes, mm-hmm. I keep reminding. I'm not a superwoman, right? Mm-hmm. I keep reminding myself that, you know what, it is okay to not have control of everything. Right. And sometimes for your sanity, you have to let go. Yes, yeah. You know, and you know, there's so much power sometimes. in letting go, actually, because yes. from all our, like from both our stories, you know, we found our breakthrough in the midst of letting go. If yes. that makes sense. And you know what I was told? Yes. You know what I was told? Like when I got pregnant, um, I was told that sometimes this is by my doctors and, you know, friends and stuff that when you're so stressed, stressed, out, yeah, your, your body, body, your body expels, like your body's not friendly. Your body's yes. not in a, a friendly environment to yes. accept yes. and harbor a pregnancy. Yeah. So, like, if you think about it, I mean, I don't mean it in any negative way, but a lot of people get pregnant while drinking and mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm. They don't even stuff, know, you know that they're... <laughs> they don't yeah. even know because they're not, their bodies are not under stress. They're stress, not yeah, relaxed and stuff. And fighting, looking, trying to see like me. I had all kinds of pregnancy sticks at home when I was trying to get pregnant. Oh, I was yeah. peeing on a stick like every little second, trying to find out, has it happened? Has it happened? And then I have all these... Uh, trying to remember what you call the ovulation sticks oh yeah i have ovulation sticks pregnancy sticks oh yeah the app app. yeah i had everything to check to see is it the right time to Uh Uh you know i'm like my gosh i had all those crazy things going on like how could how can your body be normal and calm to just walk on a baby yeah it's impossible yeah so my message to you listening is if you're in your trying to conceive journey, it's hard to be calm. But I think being calm and being less stressed, like trying not to stress yourself will help you a lot. Because mm-hmm. during the period where I was actively trying to get pregnant, I think I was the most stressed, even without knowing it. I was the most stressed. And when I decided to let go, look at what happened. Right. I ended right. up with my little Yendi. Right. And I mean, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen to everybody, right? But that's just right. a piece of advice. You know, just that's a just a piece of advice. Of advice. From my experience. Right. Yeah. From your stress experience. Is not good. Right. Yeah. Stress is not good. So now, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm super happy for you, especially to know that your story finally ended up 
in this success story ended up with what you really wanted to begin with, yes. right? So happy for you too. Oh, thank you. you. Know, we, share, <laughs> we share sort of similar struggles. That's I'm really true. happy for you too. That's true. Yes. Thank you. You're so welcome. what other you know, piece of advice will you give to couples and especially women who may be going through a similar predicament? So there's one thing that I want to reiterate. I mentioned this during the first, the previous episode, and I want to say it again. Be there for your spouse, you know, uh, support your spouse. Try to recognize that he's, he is equally in the journey with you. Right. He's trying to have a baby as well. And most importantly with you. So Mm -hmm. you need to try to be considerate. You know, if you need to run errands for him, go out there and do it. Just don't sit there and, you know, throw everything at him. And, you know, um, if you're hurting, you need to know that he's hurting too. If you're struggling, you need to know that he's struggling too, because both of you are trying to get pregnant. Right. Number two, one thing I would like to share, uh, the second point would be don't sit there and say, oh, that person didn't have a baby because they started crying when they were too old. Don't mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Try don't even say there. any, don't even, don't, even, don't say anything. Don't try don't to figure say. out why people are not having babies because it's none of don't. your business. <laughs> exactly. It's taking your right. life. It's none yeah. of your business. Yes. And for you as a person, try to go out there, do your test, you know. Know what your FSH levels are. Yeah. Look at those things. Know what your E1, E2 estrogen levels are. Yeah. Or freeze your eggs like, if you're not ready yes. even. Yeah. Yes. Do those things. Know what is happening in your body. And uh, third but not the last, be compassionate. Yeah. You know? And uh, you never know what people are going through. Mm-hmm. Just don't assume that because people got married in December, by September, they should be having a baby. And then after that, you start asking them, oh, where's the baby? Like, mm-hmm. when are you guys going to have kids? Don't do that. Bro. Yeah. Don't, and Don't do that. Yeah. Just shut up. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't say that to people. Right. Because and you have no idea what this couple is going through. You have very no true. idea. You may be sitting there waiting for them to have a baby and you have no idea what they're going through. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I remember something that hurt me really much. So I was at work. And uh, I'd gone to the bathrooms to go hide and take my medications, right? Because mm-hmm. like I told you, I sneaked around and took my medications. I didn't want anybody to know mm-hmm. that I was, you know, trying to get pregnant and all of those things. So I would have like my fertility teas and things that I was taking, but I didn't want anyone to see them. So I'll hide. Mm-hmm. So I was from taking that one where I think it was from injecting myself. It's one of those things, but it was during that process. And then someone was like, oh, you're not going to stay skinny forever somehow you're gonna have to have babies you're gonna gain weight gosh that's weird that thing it cut me it cut deep like it it went right through and i'm like jesus christ how rude but that person probably from their perspective they didn't think they were being rude yeah maybe they thought they were giving me a compliment but i'm sitting there i'm like that is the most awful compliment i've ever heard of like the stupidest compliment ever so you need to be you need to be very careful when it yeah. comes to these things. Just don't open your mouth and air whatever you want to air because you don't know what people people are going, are going through. through. That's very see true. A couple that has been married for two, three, four, five years and they don't have a baby. Maybe yeah. they're struggling. Yeah. Maybe they've decided not to have babies not to have ever. kids. Yeah. Maybe they're truly pushing it and want to have babies. Maybe five, six, seven years, eight years down the road. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the situation is. 
from a person who suffered and from a person who's had things set to while struggling to have a baby, I can tell you that don't say anything at all to a couple. Whether yeah. they have babies or they don't have babies, it is not of your business. Keep yeah. your mouth shut. Leave these people alone. Don't say anything to them. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that. Now, how can people purchase your book and contact you? Okay. So my book is available on multiple platforms. It's, it's excuse me, don't have my words. It's available on Amazon. You can go to amazon.com, just type in the title of the book. It's going to pop up and you can purchase it. Mm -hmm. Or you can go to the book's website, which is literally the title of the book, surviving baby loss while battling infertility.com. And you would see it on there. And there is another website, which is my publisher's website, www.westbowpress.com. W-E-S-T-B-O-W, westbowpress.com. Press.com, okay. I'm also available on Facebook. If you would want like an autographed copy, you can reach out to me on right. Facebook. Right, right. I will send out one to you. And right. for, you have people listening from Cameroon, right? Yes, all over the world, actually. Okay. All right, yeah. over the world. Okay. So I have had issues with people, mostly in some African countries, trying to order the books from online. So if you're one of those and you're listening, you have issues ordering, reach out to me and I will find a way to get a copy of the book to you. Sure. And I would have your information as well on the show notes for anyone who was uh, trying to reach out to you. So I just want to thank you so much. It's been such a Thank pleasure and an honor having you on our platform to share your story. I know behind the scenes, maybe, or even on record, I had told you how hard it was to find someone who had gone through an IVF process and who yes. was willing to talk about it. It wasn't hard to find people who have had IVF, but it was very hard to find someone that could openly talk about it, you know? So I really want to thank you for sharing your story and being more vulnerable. And as we all say, vulnerability is power. And I hope yes. more people will be willing and able to come on here to our platform and share their story because it impacts a lot of people. And a lot of people can relate, like we just bonded on a different level on this platform yes. through our stories. And if we keep sharing our stories and encouraging one another, we will conquer the world, honestly. So Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on here to share your story. And I hope that the conversation does not end here. I hope that people can, or we all can carry these conversations within our circles and and, you know inspire one another with our story so thank you again and i'll catch you on the next episode that's it for today thank you for listening to our show if you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com also don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at living african podcast you can also connect with anyo directly on facebook or instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.